Hello and welcome to this episode of the Complete Terp podcast with me, Sophie Llewellyn-Smith, also known as the Interpreting Coach. Why the Complete Interpreter? Well, because you are more than just an interpreting or translation machine, which is why I try to take a 360 degree view, bring you some holistic CPD and talk about mindset as well as interpreting skills. And one day, maybe marketing. One of my listeners actually wrote me an email the other day saying, you always talk about doing some marketing at some point and you never do. (laughs) So here's a tip to help you. And that was really nice of her. So I'm not there yet with the marketing. Maybe we'll get there one of these days. But somehow I'm attracted to topics to do with uh, interpreting skills and mindset. And, and that's generally what people ask me to talk about as well. Today is, I suppose, related to interpreting skills. I wanted to talk about ums, hesitations. I'm not, I'm not really going to talk about all the other fillers like I mean and you know, although some of the same principles apply. I want to talk specifically about ums and ahs, which personally I find very distracting and annoying. If somebody is speaking and there are endless ums, um, uh, 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 my husband is a bit like that actually. And half the time internally I'm thinking, just get to the point, get to the point. Sometimes there are lots of ums because he's doing something else at the same time, like reading the news on his iPad, which I find very irritating. So ums and ahs are distracting. When I teach at university, I'm always saying to the interpreting students in the first few weeks, oh, we need more eye contact, and there were so many ums. But it is often an intractable problem. I have known some interpreting students who were able to completely eliminate the ums and ahs once they were aware of them. I have known other interpreting students and professional interpreters who, however much I say to them, there were a lot of ums in that, after the fact, it never really gets any better next time. So I've always found this an interesting topic and I have several times tried to research and find solutions better than my own solutions such as they are. And I will share those with you today. I'm also very interested in your experience, actually. So do feel free to write in to me. My email is info at theinterpretingcoach.com. If you have good strategies for eliminating ums in speech and when interpreting, then please do let me know. Uh, I also have people say to me, I don't um and ah when I'm speaking spontaneously. It's only when I'm interpreting. And I understand that in the same way that I have people say to me, Oh, I would never make these grammatical mistakes if I were just speaking spontaneously. It's only when I interpret. It's when we're under pressure. So strange things happen when we're under pressure, for sure. But if you have a lot of ums and ahs in your output, what can you do? Well, the first step, I think, as it so often is, is becoming aware of your tics and fillers. There are several ways that you can do this. You can record your interpreting performance, just record an audio file, go back and listen to it and count how many ums there are. Or obviously you could record video of yourself as well. You won't get any more information about how many ums and ahs there are, but you may get other useful information about how you look when you're interpreting. (laughs) Are you making eye contact? Are you fidgeting? That's perhaps a whole other podcast. So listening to yourself is a useful thing to do. Then there's the tried and tested method 
of working with a partner. This works well if you're an interpreting student or it works if you have a practice partner. And what you do is you ask them to do something every time that you say um. Now that might be tapping on the table or it might be that they have a little sign or a piece of paper where they've written um and every time you say um they hold it up. Now, don't be fooled, this is very distracting and irritating if it happens to you. If you have somebody bashing on the table every time you say um, you'll probably lose your train of thought and you will stop talking and, and it's irritating. But that's the point. The idea is to make you more aware of what you're doing. So the point is not necessarily to try and interpret that speech perfectly with no ums. Uh, once somebody has tapped on the table once, it's just to go through that rather painful exercise of realizing how often you put fillers in and how often you say um. You can also do something by yourself. You don't necessarily have to have a practice partner. What you can do once you have a little bit of awareness is interpret. And if you hear yourself saying um, then tap on your own leg. So every time you say um, tap on your own leg. And what we're hoping for is that eventually you don't even get to the point of tapping or saying um because you're aware in the split second before you do it that you're about to say um and you do something else. And we'll come to that in a moment. The other thing that you can do, this is a more brutal method, is to put a rubber band around your wrist. And every time you say um, not just when you're interpreting, but in conversation as well, when you're talking to your friends or family, or you're at work and giving a presentation or whatever it may be, just flick the rubber band, snap it around your wrist, which is a bit painful, frankly. Ouch. It's a technique that people use for other things, for example, to try and prevent themselves from swearing or other habits or thoughts that they want to try and get rid of. But you can try that with ums. So every time you say um, snap, ouch, <laughs> and hopefully that has an off-putting effect and you will say um a bit less. Those are some of the things you can do to raise awareness. Now, I think you can take that one step further, especially if, if you have been recording yourself and listening to your performance. I think it's actually quite useful and important to try to understand why you say um. And this is where I disagree with quite a lot of what I've read, because you often read that people say um when they're nervous. And okay, that can be the case in conversation if you have someone who stutters a bit and ums and ahs and blushes and looks at the floor. Okay, they're nervous, they're anxious. But when it comes to interpreting, on the whole, I don't think that the ums come from being nervous. I think sometimes it's a habit that people have got into in the same way as we get into the habit of saying, you know, or like, or I mean. But a lot of the time, I think it is due to the following four reasons. People say um when they're trying to remember or trying to decide what to say next. Now, you might say, well, interpreting, that's not, that's not going to happen because you are dependent on the speaker to know what to say next. <laughs> but in consecutive, it can definitely happen when people can't read their own notes, right? So they're trying to decipher their notes and they can't quite see what the next idea is. And so they say, um. The second reason why people say, um, is that they are trying to find the right word. They're trying to express an idea and they can't quite come up with 
le mot juste, the right term, the word to say what they want to say. That could happen between a sea language and your mother tongue, especially if you're looking for a, a very specific word or a technical word. Uh, I often find that that happens with people who are working in retour and they can't quite access the word that they want yet. A third reason why people say um, and I definitely do this, is as a way of keeping the attention of the audience. For example, signaling that your sentence isn't finished or that your thought isn't finished. I find, for example, that when I'm giving feedback to a coaching client and I've gone through one category of errors or problems, for example, I've said uh, there were some issues with the use of articles and then I give some examples. And then I will go, um, and now let's talk about prepositions. So I've realized I do this a lot and it is a way of signaling that you haven't finished and that you are transitioning to another idea. So I found that quite interesting. A final reason why I think interpreters say um in simultaneous is when they're overwhelmed by the speed and density of the speech that they're hearing. And because they have a twin track going on, they can hear the original and they can hear themselves. And they're trying to shape their output. This is when I often hear interpreters umming and eyeing because they're overwhelmed and they're not shaping short, simple chunks that they can get out of the way. So I think the information is building up like water behind a dam. And there, I think perhaps salami technique can help. But we'll talk about that more in a moment. Right, those are some of the reasons. So do listen to yourself and try and work out why you are umming and eyeing. How can you prevent yourself from umming and eyeing? Well, this is where it gets a little bit more complicated. And I've heard, I've heard all the advice. <laughs> it doesn't work for everybody. The main piece of advice you will read if you research this or you will hear from public speaking experts is just stop saying um and pause instead. I actually think this is good advice, but it's difficult to do because umming can be such a habit. Do you know part of the reason why people don't do it, interpreters don't do it, is because they're afraid of pausing. I've heard coaching clients say to me specifically, I don't, I don't want to pause because then the audience will wonder what's going on and they'll think I've missed something. And I think, but hang on a minute, in everyday conversation, people do pause. There are pauses. In fact, if you're giving a speech, you're generally advised to leave some pauses as a way of lending gravitas to your words and giving emphasis to your words and letting your thoughts sink in. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should leave, you know, 10 second pauses when we're doing consecutive. But in general, I think the interpreters are much more afraid of a pause than the audience is. So as long as it's not a massive pause because you've completely forgotten what you were trying to say in the middle of a consecutive without notes, then there's really no problem with short pauses, especially if they're in the right place. It's not such a good thing if you pause in a random place in the middle of a clause. And the truth is that we think faster than we speak. So we tend to think that pauses sound massive, but that is not necessarily the case. So one of the ways that you can tackle ums, in consecutive especially, is to slow down a little bit. 
Don't be in such a hurry. Don't sound panicky and hectic. Calm down a bit, slow down a bit, and it will give the audience a chance to absorb what you're saying. And then every time you catch yourself about to say um, if you manage to catch yourself beforehand, just leave a pause. One piece of advice that I've heard is put your tongue behind your teeth to prevent yourself from saying um, to prevent yourself from opening your mouth and letting that sound out. Just put your tongue behind your teeth every time you're hesitating a little bit. Here's another piece of advice that I think is actually pretty useful, and that is look up at the audience. It's much harder to um and ah if you're looking at somebody, if you're making eye contact and looking somebody in the face. We tend to say um when we're thinking, when we're looking down at our notepad, which is not particularly desirable anyway. So glance at your notepad, try and reconstitute the idea, and then look up and speak. Hopefully, I've given you some ideas for how you can reduce the number of ums in consecutive. Now, in simultaneous, recently I heard a really interesting piece of advice for how you can reduce the number of ums in simultaneous. And I have to say this is second-hand advice. I didn't come up with this myself. It's not the product of my brilliant mind or my fevered imagination. It was a colleague that I was listening to who said um a lot less in this particular speech than she generally did. So we were discussing that and she said, I've been speaking to a, I think it was an accent coach, not a speech therapist. Anyway, somebody who works in that kind of field. And this person had given her a tip, which I thought was a fantastic tip. He had her holding a bunch of sticks. I don't know if they were lollipop sticks from making cake pops or kebab sticks from that you can use to make kebabs or, or cocktail sticks that you stick cubes of cheese on. But anyway, I think she had a bunch of sticks in her hand. And the advice that she had was that every time she finished a sentence in simultaneous, she was to grab one of those sticks and put it down on the table. And amazingly, this worked brilliantly well in the speech that she gave. Why did it work well? I think because the act of her taking a stick in her hand and having in the back of her mind the fact that she was going to put that stick down when she had reached the end of the sentence made her shape whole units of meaning and whole sentences. I think it helped her sort of move back from the very micro level of the words towards shaping meaning in a more overarching way and using intonation as well. So I thought that was a brilliant tip and one that's well worth trying if you find that you um and are ah a lot in simultaneous when you're overwhelmed with the material. The final tip I want to give you is about uh, interpreting technique, let's call it that, and you're interpreting skills. And again, you need to have gone through that exercise of trying to diagnose why you're saying um. If you're overwhelmed with the density of the material, maybe you need to do more salami technique and put pauses in different places. Plan the chunks of language in advance so that when you open your mouth, you know how you're going to finish your sentence or your clause. So there may be actually some work to do on décalage and on salami technique to try to help you say um less. If you find that you say um in consecutive because you can't decipher your notes and you 
haven't put a link in the margin so you don't know how to transition to the next idea, well then there's some work to do on your consecutive technique. If you find that you say um when you're interpreting into your B language because you can't think of the right term, maybe there's some work to do on your B language. So I'm sure you can see what I'm getting at here, which is that sometimes the umming and aing is a symptom and it's not actually to do with the output and the delivery. As I said at the beginning, it's probably not a symptom of anxiety or stress management. Mind you, if it is that, then you need to do some work on your stress management. But basically what I'm trying to say is that ums and ahs are often a symptom of something. Unless they're just a habit that you're unaware of, they're a symptom of something that can be tackled by adapting or improving certain interpreting techniques. There we are, that's all I have to say about ums today. I'll finish with a confession, which is that I usually try to record these podcasts in one take, so they sound natural and they are genuinely what I have to say and I haven't gone back and tinkered with them and added lots of things and taken things away. But I do sometimes edit out some of the ums because sometimes when I'm thinking of my next idea and transitioning to my next idea, I do say um or uh and I don't want to bother you with too many of those ums and uhs. However, I don't take out many of them. I try and keep it real and keep it spontaneous. I hope you found today's episode interesting and useful, or maybe you totally disagree with everything I've said, in which case email me, info at theinterpretingcoach.com, and please do let me know what you'd like me to talk about next time. In the show notes, you will find a link to a very short form. There's just one question. It says, what would you like me to talk about next? I love hearing from listeners, so please do get in touch if you've got anything to say, and speak to you next time.